Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund, and here with my wife. Inkaland. <laughs> yes, and uh, we're going to go through my DNA results, and Inka is going to actually analyze my DNA. And just a like a disclaimer: I'm not a doctor, I'm not a clinician, uh, but I have gone through a DNA coach training, and basically this is why. Why we decided to do also this uh, analysis for our scene. Make sure you click a like and subscribe as well for future videos about optimizing your health and performance. Okay, so we did actually, I think, eight, nine DNA tests. Mm -hmm. uh, but we chose to look at three more closely because it would take a lot of time to go through all of them. And I think this already gives a kind of nice overview on what DNA tests and results can uh, reveal to you about yourself. Um, one thing, of course, to keep in mind is that um, DNA or genes do not define your destiny. They are not codes that will manifest at some point of your life. They are basically potentials um, to, um, how would you say it, like potentials to basically get a disease or even an improvement mm -hmm. uh, in the presence of certain environmental factors or a lifestyle. So first report that we decided to look is the DNA active, which basically tells about your exercise potential and um, sports. Yeah, sports performance and also a little bit about um, no, well, the caffeine metabolism is here. Mm -hmm. Yes. So this is a, we can like look at the overview of these summary pretty much and um, as you can see my yeah you, we can walk through here my injury potential first is high yes so injury potential actually looks at the genes related to collagen collagen affects the formation of cartilage bone connective tissue skin hair and nail and of course with exercise this is pretty important factor because every time you do exercise your uh, body needs to make more collagen and uh, so you actually had risk factors here, mm. and uh, especially in the in the genes that affect on how collagen collagen is made in the body. And uh, for that, it means that you need to support your collagen synthesis with, uh, for example, collagen supplement, vitamin C, uh, iron, uh, like eating skin, yeah. Beef, beef or chicken skin and fish pork skin and fish skin and all mm -hmm. types of skin so how do you feel do you have any have any joint issues or mm. felt like well i've never had like any injuries i've never broken a bone um never had uh, like any uh actual things that would yeah hurt and uh generally i think that mm, probably it's because of you know diet and uh physical active physically active lifestyle is also one of the things of the reasons why I think I don't have had any injuries so like I've been lifting weights since high school and uh, doing all kinds of yeah you know good diet with uh, adequate calcium and protein you know, all my entire life uh, pretty much yeah and you eat organ meats as well and skin mm -hmm. a lot so sometimes you supplement with collagen right yeah um, I take it almost every day some in some shape or form so. Mm. so good then we had the recovery index which basically well maybe you can explain recovery a bit mm -hmm. well i mean recovery is just <laughs> uh, recovering from a, a type of activity and usually after exercise your you know 
are experiencing some higher amounts of inflammation, oxidative stress. And uh, in order to actually get stronger, then you need to you know, recover from that and uh, reach a new level, new baseline that requires you to you know, take a time out. And uh, in order to super compensate for the activity, then yeah, you need to facilitate the recovery and repair with you know, nutrition, sleep, and uh, some like uh, micronutrients and adult time. But if you don't you know, recover, or if you don't uh, get that time, to do that then you're just gonna get weaker and over time it leads to you know this overreaching and uh, overtraining that uh, results in decrease in uh, gains mm. and actually insufficient reco- recovery after exercise can also bring about neural inflammation mm. and mood mood issues and stuff like that mm-hmm. and so basically these genes look at the inflammation markers it looks at super uh, super oxide dismutase super oxide Superoxide dismutase too, yeah, mm-hmm. which basically um, convert the toxic superoxide into less reactive forms, and then the nitric oxide synthase, the en- endothelial specifically. And you had no risk genes here, basically, or, or the overall overall picture picture here is pretty positive. You recover fast from exercise, and I think this is you can mm. like experience this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can work out pretty much every day. Mm. If I want to, like, even twice a day. So yeah. I think that is a lot of maybe yeah, genetic, but also a lot of with uh, the way I've trained myself to be. <laughs> like, you know, I've uh, exercised for maybe like 15 years or 10 years at least, uh, pretty much every day in some shape or form. And I mean, yeah, I do think that I've built or accumulated more like this, I don't know, toughness or uh, resilience in my body that, yeah, I don't get that kind of uh, worn down buy it and i'm also able to recover pretty fast maybe because of a genetic standpoint uh, but from the lifestyle standpoint is what i've done to myself <laughs> in terms of uh, exercising a lot and uh, very frequently so your recovery is very different from mine so i actually got here from the genetic point that i'm very slow to recover mm-hmm. which is true pretty much i need like if i do weightlifting i need like week in between basically I can do only one heavy session per week. I can do another lighter session uh, during the week, but I cannot do two heavy sessions, heavy mm. heavy sessions mm, during the week. Mm-hmm. So this at least is uh, equivalent to to the experience. Even though I've also trained mm. for all my life, basically since I was four or five, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like starting from these kids' sports schools and stuff mm. like that. Um, but yeah, I didn't adapt to heavy exercise. Mm. So then there is like exercise performance, power versus endurance training. Some are more genetically inclined to be benefit or benefiting from either or type of the training. For you, it's mixed. You should balance endurance and power, and this is what you pretty much do. Mm-hmm. So like heavy lifting and. Um, more aerobic Mm. okay so this is interesting your peak training time Mm -hmm. according to your genes you are an evening person Mm -hmm. so you're more more of a like a night owl than uh, early bird Mm -hmm. Um, so you your most beneficial training time is towards afternoon or evening Mm -hmm. how does this feel Um, I think it's true like uh, I usually prefer working out in the afternoon 
and um, yeah not too late like uh, i don't think i'll like to work out in the evening but uh, yeah like around 2 uh, 4 p.m is where my sweet spot is in terms of my performance and uh, strength those kind of things uh, but uh, generally I'm, I'm not like a night owl i'm a, more of like a morning person <laughs> but um, yeah i do think that the evening or the uh, training side is uh, accurate mm. Yeah, and of course it's different, like, you can behaviorally mm. do what you want with your circadian rhythm pretty mm-hmm. much, uh, despite your genes. I mean, not not necessarily saying that it's the healthiest choice to, just, yeah. uh, but, you know, it doesn't, like, your gene uh, clock doesn't define when your body just falls asleep or whatever. Mm. So, okay. Muscle cramping uh, looks at adenosine monophosphate deaminase, which is needed to produce energy. And you have like the other risk allele. So mm. you just this just means that basically you need to make sure that you warm up and cool down mm. sufficiently. Yeah. Okay, caffeine. So you're a fast caffeine metabolizer, mm-hmm. which in terms of exercise would mean that you can drink coffee pretty close to your training session and that would probably increase your performance mm-hmm. have you used caffeine to boost the exercise performance uh, yeah i mean i drink it regularly i don't actually consume it before my workout or close to the workout um, i consume it you know during the daytime and at uh, morning and uh, lunch but not uh, before the uh, training so mm-hmm. I, I don't yeah i can't tell you if it affects my performance uh, in that like short time frame but uh, i do know that yeah, i'm a fast metabolizer so i, I could even yeah, drink coffee in the evening and i still fall asleep uh, without any uh, like uh, problems and i don't get like any you know elevated heart rate or heart palpitations for hours if i uh, drink coffee because yeah i just metabolize it uh, fast mm-hmm. pressure response is like your ability to adapt to stressful situations basically the, the, it is the COMT gene, which means that if you have this, actually your variations so or metmet allele in the COMT genes, means that you break down dopamine and other like chemical amines way slower than an average person, or the, the one, the person who has the other variant here. Um, and um, so basically, probably you have more dopamine, more motivation, you can like put a little bit more effort into exercise naturally because you have higher levels of dopamine but then also because you don't break down them that efficiently then if it's like if you overreach or something you get may, may get more noradrenaline and adrenaline and even cortisol like prolonged cortisol response mm-hmm. um, so for this basically uh, it's um, beneficial to if you want to break down catecholamines faster like use something like quercetin and so cruciferous vegetables, a choline, vitamin Bs to support inflation, um, magnesium, and then uh, dim might be good, flaxseed, and um, avoiding estrogen boosting stuff. Mm. <laughs> and <No> plastics. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, also phytoestrogens, and um, then uh, limit. Uh, catechol containing containing foods like green tea, hisatin, stuff like that, 
and then also limit caffeine in that coffee in that sense that if you like boost it too much your dopamine then there's just too much stress and it can go into overtraining or overreaching mm-hmm. and coffee is a dopamine booster but i would say that with this gene is also a lot about how you can manage your stress like you mm. may be very high dopamine very um, motivated and i don't know pushing the performance but if you are not that affected by it like you, you are not affected by stress that much like i feel like you are you are the type of person who doesn't get agitated you never get into this like like over i don't know maniac state even if you are very like um pushing forward mm-hmm. yeah so i guess it uh, there is a modulation in that one or maybe you're just an anecdote i don't know <laughs> but i would assume that stress resilience affects the negative versus positive effect of this gene okay then these um weight management in response to fats and carbs were pretty mm-hmm. pretty like stable like there wasn't significant benefit of anything except uh the monounsaturated well carbs um moderate yeah moderate these are pretty moderate all and um Increasing intake of monounsaturated fats to 13% of total energy intake is recommended mm. for optimal waste management. Wow. Very precise. Yes, very, very precise. Mm. But then you had protein. Mm-hmm. Uh, so protein is high priority for you. This FTO gene is basically the ob- obesity gene mm. that they look at. And in presence of poor diet, uh, like high fat and low protein, there is an increased risk for diabetes and you know just ob- obesity and heart disease and everything so you need to eat up genetically your genetic results would recommend you to eat mm. high amounts of protein which you do i do yeah. yeah how much protein do you eat per day uh not precisely i don't know but maybe at least 150 grams mm. so uh, yeah 160 usually probably mm. so uh, yeah it's kind of upper end of the protein intake mm-hmm. so this is then the health report which is uh, kind of like an overall overview mm-hmm. on uh, the genes that affect your health and disease risk mm. so it assess you know lipid metabolism methylation detoxification inflammation oxidative stress and bone health and how these may then modulate certain lifestyle diseases and what kind of maybe lifestyle habits support the optimal functioning of the genes that mm. yeah modulate these factors um to your high priority areas where methylation detoxification inflammation and bone health and we can look at them oh yeah then you had actually these these are the pretty interesting ones so there is uh, genes that uh, make you prone to be a lactose intolerant and gluten intolerant mm-hmm. and uh, also your PUFA intake is a high priority in this report mm. unlike uh, in the other report so in terms of weight management it didn't it didn't ma- matter but in terms of overall health it did I, I think probably because of the inflammation but let's see let's go let's go into details methylation is like super important it um affects the your your like toxicity levels almost and so like yeah in 
in the absence of proper methylation, you may have higher homocysteine levels um, and you may have more neural inflammation and inflammation in general, but also methylation is important for the DNA transcription and just everything basically. Mm-hmm. If you want to say something about methylation. Mm, yeah, I mean, from the I don't know, longevity side, then you need yeah methylation for, yeah, you mentioned homocysteine, but the DNA methylation is also very uh, crucial in terms of being able to, yeah, uh, epi- control epigenetics of uh, your longevity mm. and repair yeah. DNA. So methylation, there are basically two main pathways. One is dependent on vitamin Bs and one is dependent on choline. And um, in your genes, in this uh, MTHFD1 uh, is um, one of the, I think, most known, also MTHFR, uh, most known methylation genes. But you have like this uh, allele, the risk allele in this MTHFD1, which encodes the enzyme... um, 510-methyl-N-tetrahydrofolate dehydrogenase, cyclohydrolase, and synthetase. Those are mouthfuls, <laughs> uh, but basically it just means that, um, that yeah, your cells' ability to do methylation. Um, so in this, um, the recommendations when you have a risk change in the methylation would be to uh, make sure that you get it up choline and B vitamins yeah especially like vitamin B complex would be a good uh, supplement I guess in this case or even a choline supplements but choline is very abundant in eggs and mm-hmm. in liver which mm-hmm. you eat a lot mm-hmm. and uh, vitamin B you also get I, I guess you get a lot of vitamin B as well mm-hmm. because you eat uh, meat and seafood a lot and then green leafy vegetables then in the detoxification this is actually very important but not that much talked i feel Mm. so it's basically your liver's ability to get rid of the toxins that you have in your body which is super important Mm -hmm. because when toxins accumulate um, that causes disease and low-grade inflammation and things like that and that can manifest even as a like low-grade inflammation or low-level inflammation when it's chronic it causes all sorts of problems from leaky gut to mood issues to chronic fatigue and um, hormonal imbalances and things like that. So it's uh, definitely something that you want to support. So you have two risk uh, alleles here, which is very important then uh, in terms for you to support this. You have the deletion in the GSTM1, which is the glutathionase transferase M1. Um, I think it's here, uh, which is the, yeah, as, as this report says, is the most biologically active member of the glutathione superfamily and involved in phase two detoxification in the liver. So it removes things like environmental mm-hmm. toxins that you would get. Um, for this, like, of course, the prevention is the best cure, like with everything. So mm-hmm. just avoiding like harmful chemicals. Um, they are found not only in plastics, but also, you know, you can cook your food too in a too high temperature, and that produces toxins. They are found in um, commercial detergents, um, textile dyes, mm. things like that. Um, 
basically in a lot of places and even sometimes uh, in food packaging material mm-hmm. um, so just going for organic you know a household or cleaning products should be mainly natural organic using something like vinegar and soda instead mm-hmm. of like harsh chemicals and um, pretty basic Mm. things also air purifier we just recently Mm. got one good one so these kind of things and then there is the uh, quinone reductase which plays an important role in oxidative stress and managing that and um, so you you have also you have actually from two to four percent of the reductase activity compared to if it were to function at its full potential Mm. uh, genetically uh, so here is basically the same recommendation. So you would want to avoid um, toxins like cigarette smoke and you know environmental toxins. But you can also, of course, support your liver function and your detoxification with uh, certain fruits and vegetables like cruciferous vegetables are mm. pretty important in this. Um, Allium vegetables, which are you know the onion family like garlic and onion and leek mm. stuff like that uh curcumin mm. is a very good one sulforaphane again dim and respiratory and fasting and fasting yeah <laughs> yes and drinking and yeah sauna infrared sauna mm. water things like that yeah so inflammation was also high priority for you so couple risk genes here but i think this pretty much goes together um with the with the detoxification that uh, or like it's almost the next step so in the presence or or absence of proper detoxification and toxins accumulation or too much distress you would have an increased inflammation response and this of course can lead to disease um so basically the recommendation is to use things that lower inflammation mm-hmm. and we all know that for example omega-3 fatty acids are very important to to lower and manage inflammation um, uh, antioxidants so something like berries and fruits and vegetables organic ones of course and then weight management mm. avoiding smoking and unhealthy lifestyle avoiding high sugar foods things like that okay food responsiveness uh, so caffeine we already looked at uh, but the the interesting thing here that, that that actually proves the point that your genes do not define your disease risk and are not your destiny is when we look at seems lactose and gluten intolerance genes <laughs> Uh, so basically your genetic results is associated with adult hyperlactasia which means that you would be lactose intolerant yeah lactose intolerant Mm, you wouldn't be producing the enzyme Mm. that actually breaks down lactose but an interesting thing is that also your microbiome results show that you have less of the lactase Mm. we did like yeah microbiome results if you we do yeah kind of like showed that he's lactose intolerant mm. as well <laughs> so every result that he gets is like you're lactose intolerant however you can tolerate milk mm. better than me way better than me 
And for me, everything is like I, I'm very high in in these um, lactobacillus and everything that breaks down, or, or, or also lactase. Like, and I don't have any genetic risks for lactose intolerance, but still, I react to milk uh, stronger. Mm. Or like you don't react at all. Yeah, I don't get any. I have no allergies to milk. I can drink as much milk as I want, and yeah, whey protein and everything. I'm just uh, completely fine. Yeah. And also the, the gluten part, which is, uh, of course, again, this gene does not mean that you're intolerant to gluten. Mm-hmm. That is manifested in your actual cellular response and bodily response. But it just means that in the presence of these genes that you have, you're more risk of getting a celiac disease or, or reacting to gluten. But you do not at all. Like you can eat all the gluten you want and you're just completely fine. Mm. Yeah. You don't even get tired or... Yeah, I can eat mm. uh, three kilograms of gluten and, <laughs> and just be completely fine. That's um, true. Yeah. And very funny uh, scenario about lactose and the gluten is that uh, like maybe a month ago or something we were in um, another town and we were going to a restaurant and I ordered, okay, I'll have some pizza, okay, and uh, I didn't even check. I, I got the bigger pizza in the menu. I didn't know like how big it was or I didn't check how big it was. And it was like this massive, yeah, like, you know. It was huge. It was uh, like three kilo. Yeah, the, the di- diameter was like 40 centimeters or 50 centimeters. And it was super thick as well, full of cheese and ham and, uh, yeah, like a super thick uh, the dough, crust. Dough yeah. Was, yeah. And it was, I think it was weighed at least like, I don't know, two kilograms mm-hmm. or three kilograms. <laughs> and uh, I ate it all. I ate also some sweet potato fries and I finished your salad and, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and iced tea. And uh, yeah, I didn't feel any lethargy or any bad, anything bad. I didn't crash or I didn't have any reactions. Uh, next next morning, I actually lost weight, <laughs> eating uh, three kilograms of uh, pizza with uh, of with like I don't know, five thousand calories or ten thousand calories of uh, gluten and uh, lactose from cheese. And yeah, everything was yeah. I actually, lost weight. Uh, funny enough, so uh, I guess I'm not really uh, lactose intolerant or gluten intolerant mm. because of I don't know. My maybe maybe throughout my life I've just um, I don't know microdosed them in the right amounts and uh, I mean like I, I drank raw milk when I was a child mm. I also ate grains when I was a child regularly so I never probably developed the uh, intolerance because of the lifestyle yeah yeah and actually so I've been reacting to milk when I was a child I got a, like a huge skin issues and rashes mm. and stuff like that. Um, I started also drinking, I never drank raw milk when I was a child and you know, I'm not gonna go into the studies of raw milk, I mean they are very controversial and it's not my personal recommendation to start drinking it, but what I've noticed when I started drinking the raw milk is that I can actually now tolerate milk products Mm. pretty much in all sorts of milk products even mm. the fermented ones although yeah, at least and whey protein which like was a big no-no mm. there's no way for me before yeah, now all the way uh, now all the way yes <laughs> so it has been an interesting thing so yeah definitely possibly your your diet will modulate your response mm. to these foods i guess the microbiome probably yes determine it. Uh, but even the microbiome you know the mm. results were Mm, different so than what said, you can. It said I had low lactose yes. bacteria. Yeah. So how do I break down the lactose? Yeah. How does it go? So tell 
<laughs> Tell us how does seem break down the lactose? We don't know. Yeah. Not nothing supporting evidence. Like we've done all the tests <laughs> and we don't know. Oh, in the vitamin metabolism, uh, vitamin. In the vitamin me metabolism, you have something in your vitamin D conversion. Um, so here, so basically in the GC or the group specific component the gene, um, you had the allele, which means that you have lower D binding protein. So this would mean that um, so basically the the transporting the vitamin D into your cells that ability would be lower genetically for you. So you might need uh, to supplement with vitamin D, but you go out every day as well. Mm. So how is it, have you measured your vitamin D levels with or without the supplement or do you do you Yeah, well, if it? I do take it or like I took it in the winter, measured it in the spring and my vitamin D was actually very high. So I stopped taking it mm. and now it's like kind of normal again. Mm. Yeah, so it does it like raise my vitamin D levels. So mm -hmm. Yeah. That happened to me as well. I think I had the same gene here, mm. but when I supplemented the vitamin D, it just went off the roof. Mm. So, again, like uh, your genes, the results do not define mm. on how your cells actually function and how it is actually shown. Um, so measure and take all the tests as well. So the mind report is very interesting to me, of course. <laughs> I have a degree and interest in neuropsychology. So this is combining all the cool fields of neurology and psychology, which is basically your risk for neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's disease, for example, mood regulation and then addiction potential. So you seem prone to addictions. <laughs> we'll find out. Yes. <laughs> yes, actually, uh, that's true. What? Although, <laughs> although really? you don't have any. Really? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, we'll clarify this. <laughs> so the most famous known risk gene for Alzheimer's is the APOE gene, which you don't have the risk allele. But you should remember that like this gene is basically tells about how your body how well it does with uh, saturated fats mm -hmm. and also other lipid metabolism and other genes affect your risk of alzheimer's uh, you didn't have basically a lot of uh, like these uh, uh, risk genes but as what we noticed also in the other gene report a result or report there is an increased risk for inflammation so e e IL-1, basically. Um, so again, if you have a, like um, some sort of high-stress lifestyle, if you have a psychosocial stress, if you have a lot of um, environmental toxins, whatever, and your inflammations, inflammation level gets high, then you are more risk of developing or having that cellular distress as well. And prolonged neural inflammation can, of course, start degrading or accumulating in the brain and then you know causing causing risk for dementias or neurodegeneration mm -hmm. um, so basically this is something that you know you need to pay attention to to lower your inflammation levels but you have very anti-inflammatory lifestyle in the sense that the biggest risks for inflammation are you know um, poor diet and just like a poor gut microbiome and um, of course smoking mm. high sugar um, 
sedentary lifestyle, environmental pollutants, or being in the sun without protection, stuff like that. And you can counteract cellular distress and inflammation by these anti-inflammatory nutrients, omega-3s, curcumin, ginger, stuff like that. Dopamine, we did look at this as well. Mm -hmm. So you have higher dopamine levels, which means that you may experience higher amounts of stress. Mm. Mm. <laughs> but also like dopamine, like, okay, so why, why dopamine and stress might be linked is that dopamine converts into noradrenaline. It's a mm -hmm. precursor. Noradrenaline is the most known alertness hormone. It's not like a stress hormone, but it is, um, there is more noradrenaline signaling during stress. So I guess you could also call it the stress hormone, mm. but like psychologically it's linked to alertness and it's like a narrow pointed focus. Yes. So you need that if you want to focus, if you want to do like some sort of a very automatic task very fast. Um, but of course, if you are in this hyper alert state for long periods of, of time, that gets very stressful. And that's also in the state of uh, sympathetic activation. Mm. So you then need to calm that down. And because you have baseline higher levels of dopamine, this means that if you're doing like a a task that you really want to focus on something and let's say it's a very automatic task you may actually benefit from boosting it like mm. having caffeine or whatever but if you need like brainstorming and you need to be very creative and I don't know you're developing new concept or need to look at a lot of studies at the same time and integrate into some conclusion then this kind of very narrow pointed focused uh, thing is actually mm. harmful to you and I think this is something that everyone should know. Like everyone should, if the, if not in gene results, at least observe what is your response to boosting dopamine, so to speak. So to coffee, chocolate, shopping even, mm -hmm. like things like that, that make you dopaminergic. Do you get hyper alert? Do you get even anxious or jittery? If yes, then your baseline dopamine may be actually higher. And then boosting dopamine is not always the solution when you want to mm. work efficiently. Sometimes you need to bring it down actually mm. to produce more. So then some of the genes that are associated with addiction potentials are, for example, the um, nicotine receptor or um, the um, like receptors that respond into, for example, nicotine. And um, so acetylcholine receptors basically. And this is usually the risk is if you start using the substance in the mm. first place, but you're not smoker mm. or using cannabis or any, anything mm. like that. So then this is also the gene environment interaction. A very mm. important point here is not that if you have genes that makes you more responsive to the drugs, uh, or having a high, higher levels of dopamine in response to these uh, certain substances that you would become addicted anyway. But if you start using them, then it might your body might create this link of more urge and reward to use those substances. So maybe you shouldn't use opiates and nicotine. <laughs> yes, no so then um, the final gene that we look at here is the serotonin 
So basically this T5HT1A activity, this gene modulates on how much the serotonin affects at the postsynaptic neuron. And you have a certain kind of allele that would reduce its activity in the subsequent cell of from where it's released. Mm. Uh, which just means that you may be prone to have lower levels of serotonin and you may need to increase your tryptophan foods, for example, and, you know, do stress management strategies. So in the presence of low serotonin, people are uh, a bit more neurotic, uh, might have sleep issues and stuff like that. But also this is so individual, this is very individual and... Um, you have basically no at least i haven't noticed that you have any neuroticism or <laughs> like you are not very stress prone mm. but that's probably also because you do manage your stress very well mm -hmm. like you sleep well and you exercise and all of those things are very important for the serotonin as well as sunlight but yeah especially diet and sleep and um, just making sure you don't leave this kind of high stress lifestyle yes so these were what we found from yeah. seems so what genes. do you think about my genes <laughs> well i think they are pretty you know consistent well not all of them i mean some were you know mm. similar to what we see in real life like your recovery mm. fast from exercise but then you know some genes didn't resemble at all Mm -hmm. of how it manifests in real life, like the lactose intolerance thing. Mm. What, what did you feel about the results? I mean, I think they're pretty accurate. Yeah, maybe except the uh, lactose and the gluten thing, but uh, yeah, all the stress uh, resilience and uh, dopamine and uh, recovery and injury risk as well, I think uh, would be pretty accurate. I just don't like my, I think I, I do feel like my risk of injury could be high or but uh, if I didn't uh, exercise or if I didn't lift weights it would be pretty high like maybe my bones would be more brittle <laughs> but because of my lifestyle of uh, lifting and exercising for many years uh, it's uh, changed or it uh, isn't high risk yeah actually um, one thing that I've noticed is that I also had a pretty like brittle bones previously mm -hmm. and my bone mass density wasn't super high I mean there was room to improve for sure now I what I now when I have started lifting heavier weights uh, my knees for example don't crack anymore mm. and um, I just feel more you know sturdy so I think it very it's very beneficial I've mm. been for the bones and joints yeah. so yeah if you have genetically risk to fragile bones then lifting would be one of probably the best interventions mm. of course the sufficient recovery and you need the intake of, of proteins like amino acids and vitamin c to be able to build that tissue yeah. and calcium all right that's it for this video take it for what you will i hope you learned something new as well and uh, yeah if you like it then click like and subscribe where can people find you on the social media so you can find me on my Instagram, it's Inkaland with two eyes. And if you're interested in these gene reports and testing your genes as well, then I don't know, send me a DM and uh, I'll tell you more. And you can find uh, me on Instagram 
at Seamlund, as well as YouTube. Thanks for watching this video. My name is Seam. And I'm Inka. Stay optimized, stay empowered.